Hey, Central City Church, Joe Graves here, one of pastors. And before we get into our uh, talk today, we are going to spend some time in Genesis here in a little bit. But before we do, I wanted to just open up a conversation. Um, one of the things that we've tried to talk about as a church, um, even before um, recent events, is things regarding uh, racism, diversity, systemic racism. And um, I've had the chance, um, after uh, um, some of the recent events, uh, Braden and I had a chance to reach out, and uh, we've had some conversations. And in those conversations, um, uh, we both kind of felt it might be good just to have some of that, a taste of that conversation with you all. And so today, I want to talk about faith. I want to talk about race. I want to talk about Black Black Lives Matter and church, and uh, I'm going to ask Braden to share some of his thoughts and experiences, and uh, um, and we can just kind of enter into a conversation that's guided by humility and a, a real sincere desire to not only love one another, but to be people who um, who want to figure out what justice looks like, what it means to walk with God, um, and uh, to pursue justice in our current times. Um, so. Uh, why don't we start, um, just to lay the foundation of our conversation, why don't you talk a little bit about your faith story, Brayden? How did you come to know Christ? What did that look like uh, for you? Yeah, of course. Well, thanks for having me uh, come in and talk about these things. I'm really excited to be a part of this. But uh, growing up, I went to church every once in a while. Um, didn't really mean a ton to me. I believed in God, and the relationship aspect didn't have any importance. I didn't really see a need for it unless you had a dire need in your life. Um, fast forward to early college where all these worldly things I had my identity in were crumbling and stripped away and realized I had this huge gaping hole and felt very lost. Who am I without these things? Uh, and that was when I met a group of people that just loved me so well and showed me what that relationship with Christ looks like and how to run alongside of people uh, and sharing their faith with me eventually led to me uh, dedicating my life to Christ. And you would say, um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but knowing you, like that identity you have in Christ is, is, is your anchor. You know, like that's, everything kind of spins out from that. So we are going to talk about race today. And, and the next question I want to ask you is, you know, what's the story of you coming to to understand your racial identity. But even that, we, we start with the faith question because I know for you and for me, it's that person of Jesus Christ mm -hmm. who's changed our lives. So, but tell us, what what's the story of you kind of rest, uh, coming to an understanding of your racial identity? Yeah, so for those that don't know, I'm biracial. So my mom is black, my dad is white, and I'm Braden. Growing up, I didn't think much of it beyond that. I mean, my mom's side of the family was black and my dad's side was white. And when you're young, you really don't think too much about it. And I grew up in a super small uh, country town, and uh, I was very ignorant to the hate that uh, is in the world with that. And it wasn't until growing up where I almost had an insecurity of needing to pick a side or needing to justify who I was, where if I was in a situation where I wasn't around my mom's side who was black or my dad's side who knew me that I would have to explain how, how I was black and uh, look for their approval. And I felt that way within the black community too when I was in college and part of a scholarship group that was all diverse students and I stand up and introduce myself and want that acceptance and want them to see me as one of their own and not just this uh, weird outlier. 
I heard you say once, um, or maybe you shared it with me in a text, but I can't defend, I shouldn't defend, I can't defend something I can't change. Mm -hmm. And that really struck me, you know, you or you, and your parents are your parents, and there's no changing that. And I think there's, that, that, that pushes me to a place of, no, I accept Braden for Braden. Your experiences are unique. They're obviously different than other people's, regardless of whether they're white or black. And I want to accept that. And I think we as a church want to be a place that we let people be an expert of their own experience. You know, like you know what it's like to be you in your unique world. So tell me just from your experience, your perspective, have you experienced racism or uh, microaggressions is a term I've heard. Um, have you experienced that in your life? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like I said, when I was younger, I didn't really pay attention to it. But then it wasn't until high school. I actually dated a girl for a couple of years and uh, she was white. Her family was white. And I would say out of the couple of years we were together, the first half of that, her dad wouldn't speak to me. We would pass shoulder to shoulder at basketball games, track meets. It didn't matter. He had zero interest in getting to know me as Braden because he saw that barrier that was my skin color. Um, he knew I came from a diverse family and instantly that was sort of a write off for me. And racism is sort of like cuts to the body. You have these huge gashes where there's blatant racism like that, but then these microaggressions almost serve as paper cuts. They don't look that painful, but anyone who's experienced a paper cut knows that they, sometimes they sting more than uh, the bigger cuts. So microaggressions in high school was, uh, I was one of the few people in my friend group to really go away to college. And I got a good amount of scholarships, uh, not only through OU, but through our high school. But to my white friends, it was very easy for them to say, you only got those because you're black. Like, it's not that I worked hard or was in the library or seeking out these scholarships. It was, oh, these were your handouts for your, uh, for your background. Yeah, and that's like, that's, that kind of sits with you. That's those micro cuts, those microaggressions that uh, maybe the person saying it doesn't think anything of it. And if I'm honest, I've been guilty of that. Um, like I've said that to a close friend of mine who got a scholarship um, because they were part Native American. I, might have, I don't know if we talked mm -hmm. about this, but um, so hearing your story is very convicting for me because I was raised in a family that was anti anything that sounded or smelled like affirmative action. Um, so any sort of special treatment because of your background, I was raised to not only be against it, but to speak against it. Somehow I picked that up. And so, you know, that's convicting. So thanks for sharing. To tell me about your feelings about um, uh, Black Lives Matter. What's your thoughts on uh, the Black Lives Matter movement? Yeah, so obviously there's been a huge recognition of the Black Lives Matter movement. And as heartbreaking as all the recent events are, I am honestly encouraged that it's happening right now where society is absent of distractions. I think if this were to be happening at almost any other point uh, of say 2019, it's very easy to distract ourselves as a society, going out to dinner, hanging out with friends, uh, turning on any sporting event. But right now, uh, the words of justice are just ringing even louder because there's nothing to fill that gap right now. So I, I've been very encouraged with all the protests that have been going on throughout the states and uh, especially here in the community of Grandview. It makes me wonder if God isn't using the, you know, and I don't carefully say this, but that sense of like there is so much space 
in our lives right now. I heard someone say that protests are so um, well attended because of the flexibility of working at home or not working at all. And mm -hmm. so there's a sense that God might be using that in a, in a kind of a, in an interesting way. Now, for some, though, for some Christians, Black Lives Matter as a statement or as a cause is controversial. Um, my uh, Facebook feed is in, is increasingly not filled with those statements because I unfollow people very quickly these days. I just don't have time. But uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's right or wrong, but I just like Facebook's entertainment, so I, I unfollow people pretty quickly. But but I, you know there is this conversation amongst especially especially white Christians um, around the Black Lives Matter movement and the, like whether it shouldn't be like all lives matter, et cetera. What what are your thoughts? What would you what is your response to the fact that not all Christians are supportive of the Black Lives Matter movement? Yeah, this, this is a question that I feel like I wrestle with every single day, and I try to do it uh, without bitterness. I think it's so easy for me to, yeah, look at my social media feed and not instantly have these harsh feelings or words for those those people. Uh, so Black Lives Matter is a statement in itself that is completely void of political affiliation or comparison. So this controversy that people are experiencing, that's self-implied. It's Black Lives Matter, period. There is no, it, they're better than anyone else, they're less than anyone else. Uh, only if you vote one side or the other, uh, that's where they matter. It's Black Lives do simply matter. And it shouldn't be that hard of a statement to stand behind. I think speaking to Christians specifically, it's, it's very convicting that so many find controversy in that. Uh, as Christians, we are called to live a life like Christ. How Jesus lived here on earth, that's how we should try our best to reflect our daily lives. And we do that by looking at scripture. Um, I think you could maybe pick any page in the Bible and see that Jesus or God has gone, gone out of uh, their way to make a group feel included or help someone uh, realize that they matter. So I looked at, I think it's Ephesians 2.14, and this is just a paraphrase, but Jesus dying on the cross brought unity to two people that had bad blood and bad history together. His death on the cross broke down this wall of divisiveness. So as Christians, I really want you to reflect on, are you opposing movements that's only adding bricks to this wall? Or are you going to stand behind a movement that will help tear this down and help you see the other side? So for you, the Black Lives Matter as a, as a statement, as a proclamation, is, is a way to tear down those walls. Exactly. The way you feel it, it's a way of lifting up um, a group of people that have experienced, well, I mean, we don't have to get into the history of America. We're all fairly familiar but experienced an immense amount of injustice yes. um, in a variety of ways over a couple hundred years. Mm -hmm. um, given that, in your opinion, how is the church, by the church I mean probably more specifically the American church, you know, so not just our church, but just, and not just church in general, because this is, um, what we're discussing is a, is um, in the, is sort of the American experience, but the American church, how has the American church failed in this area as, as far as you see it? Mm -hmm. So I think with these hard topics, I see a lot of times the American church is shying away from addressing these topics head on. And in communities, especially smaller communities like Grandview or my hometown or your hometown, the church serves as this beacon of 
truth. So if the church isn't going to address these hard topics, then why should I address it in my household? They're not talking about it. I don't see a need to talk about it. And there's no growth or anything that happens. I think, in my honest opinion, in doing this, a church tries to maintain that safe place where they don't want to offend people. But I think the church should serve as that safe place where these conversations can be had and you shouldn't feel shame to change your stance or to gain this new information and uh, enlighten yourself on what's going on from someone else's perspective. But in answering that question, I one thing that I love about Central is that you guys don't shy away from these topics. I mean, I'll be honest, when you first said that you were going to discuss racism and Black Lives Matter, I was like, I cannot wait to hear what people say about this. Um, so I just asking you as a, as a pastor of Central, why do you find it important to address the, these really tough to topics that people uh, stand divided on? Well, the fact that we're online is uh, the benefit of that is I have no one, no one can talk to me about how they feel about what I've said. <laughs> but, you know, like I, I, I think back and I, I think back all the way to when we were at the theater, um, we did a we did our first headline series and we did another one this year. And one of the headlines that year, uh, which is kind of the series where we try to deal with, you know, current events that are hard to talk about, um, elicited a sermon on Black Lives Matter in um, I know of at least one family that left because of that sermon, you know, and there might have been others as well that sort of left indirectly to that. So it is it's, it's for a pastor, it's scary um, to bring up anything that's divisive. Uh, I care a lot about how things are said. Um, I care a lot about whether people want to be a part of our community. Um, and that's the type of thing that worries me. But I wouldn't when we started the church, like we made a commitment to hard conversations and as a pastor, um, I don't even have to study the history of America to recognize that systemic racism is an important topic. I know it from the fact that still today, and Martin Luther is attributed to saying this first, but still today, Sunday morning is still the most segregated um, hour uh, of the week. And, there, there are more diverse churches today than there ever have been in America, but there still are not very many. And there, are, there is even few churches that are made up of multiple people that are um, uh, multiple people groups or or, or, or identities that are um, black led. And so I don't have the numbers, but the statistics are sobering. And so for me, um, that's a reality that I, I think it could be easy to brush under the rug and pretend like. And I think sometimes I live that way. You know, I think that's one of the, the benefits of, of being a white pastor in a, a good church is uh, we're predominantly white. And I could just kind of like, and probably many times I just kind of live and I'm just okay with that. But for me, I can't just ignore that. There's enough of a push to saying like, that's not what the kingdom of God should be. And trying to figure out how to address that or how to change that in our context is there isn't an easy solution. We've talked about this, but I definitely think it's not something that we can just simply ignore. So let me ask you, what should the church be doing? Yeah, that's a good question. And you sort of touched on it, but see, in speaking about diversity is actually seeking it out. I know it's very easy for uh, churches 
such as uh, Central, for example, being in a predominantly white area, diversity can be hard and it's a barrier. It's not an excuse, but mm -hmm. it's a barrier. Yeah. Um, so actually doing the groundwork to seek out diversity because faith without works is dead. So we can pray and pray and pray that uh, all these black families or Latino families are going to move to Grandview and make our church diverse. Or we can invite these people and have these conversations like you and I, where you are bringing in people of color to share their perspective. And uh, that can be one of the only ways that the congregation might have that interaction, but at least it's taking that step to them having that interaction and can open up their eyes to uh, how a person of color could possibly decipher the gospel slightly different than them. So you, um, as we've engaged in a variety of ways, there was a there was a Black Lives Matter. It was in white silence, actually, is the title. March down Grandview Avenue. We're also helping uh, host and lead a couple of conversations local to Grandview, which you live in the Grandview area, mm -hmm. um, regarding racial justice, naming and wrestling with the fact that there's so many um, uh, um, uh, uh, 95 percent white. And that that's that was by accident. Right? Mm -hmm. There's a history there. So uh, you're you've been a part of a Zoom call. You you were part of the march. Uh, what are your thoughts on um, uh, about participating in that and your hopes for the future? Yeah, so like you said, my wife and I, uh, we took part in the march through Grandview Avenue uh, that was more and white silence and then took part of the Zoom call that was bringing together a group of people that want to end the like racist structures that you see within our community. And that was super encouraging for me to take part of because ever since I moved to Grandview, it's very easy to notice and recognize that there is a lack of diversity and I was very surprised with how many white people actually were hurt by that and want wanted to change that. I don't know, maybe I, that was just part of my ignorance too, of thinking that, oh, well, they're all okay with it. Like things won't really change. But then after seeing the march, I remember just being emotional, seeing the passion behind everybody and just being able to be a part of uh, this portion of history that's going on. Um, I'm excited for what the group will turn into. I think I shared in, in the group call that I don't want this to end as a group of empathizers. The last thing we need is just a bunch of white people feeling bad about themselves and feeling bad about people of color but we need those people to use their influence to bring about these changes that will actually impact uh, my kids, my grandkids, the future of uh, the community of color within Grandview. You know, you, you reminded me of something that somebody said to me, and I couldn't even tell you who said it because of the variety of conversations I've been in, but it was somebody who lives in the area and who's white. And they said, you know, it, it doesn't matter how you feel about the Black Lives Matter movement, it's embarrassing living in an all white community. And I think that uh, you don't want to operate out of a place of embarrassment or shame. We talked about that in the teaching last week. But that is a product of, I think, a change in times. There is a subset of people like myself that really want to be, we don't know how to do it. <laughs> we, don't, we don't necessarily know how to do it well. We're probably going to say the wrong thing. Just for the record, he had to reword some of my questions because they were worded the wrong way. So like, that's where I'm at. But there's a real desire. It's like, no, I don't want to just, I don't want to raise my children or live my life 
uh, in a white bubble. I want to experience other people's perspectives and other cultures. So thanks for sharing yours. And uh, if you are friends with Braden and you have his cell phone number, I'm not going to give it out. But if you already have it right now, send him a text message. Thank him for sharing. Encourage him that way. That's in place. Of, normally, I'd have everyone applause. But uh, yeah, the guy's here, Ken. Thanks for sharing. But also text him. And uh, uh, thanks so much. All right.